Welcome back to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. November 11th is Veterans Day, and we wanted to use this episode to bring awareness to some health issues seen among military veterans of all ages. Dr. John Norbury, Division Chief of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Texas Tech Physicians, is one of our guests. He talks to us about some of these injuries and treatments, and he also has some very useful advice for the rest of us to keep in mind, especially around the holidays. Also with us is Linnea Shirley, Public Affairs Specialist for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. She shares with us her own experience with health issues and the care she's received and how other veterans can go about accessing services at the VA clinic. Hello and welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the Health Sciences Center and your expertise? My name is John Norbury. I'm the Division Chief of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation and new Residency Program Director for a newly approved PMNR Residency Program. I also work one half day a week at the Lubbock Outpatient Clinic for Veterans Affairs. And my name is Linnea Shirley. I'm the Public Affairs Specialist here at the Lubbock VA Clinic. I do public affairs throughout the Amarillo VA Healthcare System. Well, again, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. Dr. Norberry, what are some common injuries or illnesses among military veterans? Is there a difference in illnesses or injuries that you see among combat versus non-combat or differences in age? Yeah, so uh, thank you very much for having me. I, as I mentioned, I see uh, uh, veterans in a half-day PM&R clinic, and so I don't see every diagnosis that comes in. But I would say that, in general, veterans commonly have the sorts of diagnoses that are common in any population. Hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, heart conditions, those sorts of things. However, there are some differences between the diagnoses that we see in the veteran population and the general population. For example, PTSD is something that we, we commonly see more commonly in people who've been in combat, veterans who've been in a combat situation, and then traumatic injuries. And so brain injuries, amputation, that sort of thing. With regard to combat versus non-combat, Obviously, those sorts of traumatic injuries are more common in the combat population, but not necessarily. For example, brain injuries can occur even in veterans who haven't been in combat when they're training and, and doing that sort of thing. With regard to age, again, we see similar trends to the, the general population. I think that with the more recent conflict in Afghanistan and Iraq, we do see more combat-related injuries in that population as opposed to some of our older veterans. And I think it's not unusual for veterans to have challenges related to hearing. Uh, and so a lot of uh, challenges with deafness and, and, and the like. And I think that's a really important thing for veterans to address either in the VA or, or outside, because we know that challenges with hearing can lead people to problems with social isolation, even things such as dementia. And it is something that there's a lot of treatments for. Another thing that comes up in the veteran population is toxin exposure. And so we see this in the Vietnam era in terms of Agent Orange. I came from North Carolina where there were veterans from Camp Lejeune who had exposure to, to toxic water. And more recently, we see challenges related to the, the burn pits in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so this is a very uh, 
complex topic. It does put people at risk for, for certain sorts of cancers. For example, we know the risk of prostate cancer is increased in veterans who've been exposed to Agent Orange. And the VA has a very good mechanism for doing these assessments, assessing for toxin exposure, and getting the veteran on a treatment plan to try and mitigate those effects. So regarding AED and brain injuries, what are the possible causes and symptoms? So brain injuries, of course, are something that both veterans and, and non-veterans deal with. The, the mechanisms are sometimes a little bit different. And so for the civilian population, we often see brain injury in low-velocity gunshot wounds and motor vehicle crashes, whereas in the veteran population, it can more commonly be due to blasts explosive devices, high-velocity bullet wounds, and the like. What we do see is that the, the treatment of the brain injury tends to be similar in both cases with one major caveat, and that's that the incidence of PTSD, depression, anxiety, some other psychological comorbidities is much more common in the veteran population than it is in the, the non-veteran population. And so we see that our, our service members, often it can be harder to diagnose because there's more psychiatric comorbidities on top of that. And then I think there's the added challenge that in the veteran community, there's a stigma surrounding mental health disorders. And so that can sometimes prevent them from accessing the resources they need when there is a brain injury. So regarding that stigma, I know, for example, Ernest Hemingway is said to have dismissed any head injuries from World War I and from some plane crashes. A tough soldier might dismiss his or her head injury. What are some long-term complications that might come from ignoring it? So I'm happy that you touched on this because as a medical educator, we really try to, to give our learners cultural competence, to understand how one's culture enters the exam room and influences care. And I think we, we often talk about that in the context of race or ethnicity, but certainly that's very applicable here. Where there is a military culture, it tends to value putting the team's interest above oneself, selfless sacrifice, kind of sucking it up and, and soldiering on. And I think that in the the exam room, that can create challenges because the veterans uh, sometimes are resistant to access the care. They keep slugging along. Uh, often uh, I've seen veterans who really lean into their work and, 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 uh, and, and I think that these things will sometimes be brushed under the rug. And so I think what's really important is that when veterans access the care, they develop trust with their providers because that's often a mechanism for them to start to feel comfortable bringing forward some of these things, which, you know, uh, may have been brushed under the rug for, for years. What are the treatments and are they long term? So when we're talking about uh, brain injury and uh, PTSD and, and depression, uh, generally it's a multidisciplinary approach. And this is something that the VA tends to do very well. And so it would be treatments with the, the healthcare provider. For example, with brain injury, we might address some of the comorbidities such as headache, uh, sometimes medications to help with anxiety and, and depression, and then also including with that counseling, support, group, group therapy interventions as well as what is called a whole health in the VA. And so this is one of the really nice things about the VA is as an organization, it's really leaned in to a more holistic approach to healthcare. So including diet, exercise, acupuncture. We've recently started offering massage, you know, looking at a veteran's spiritual health and, and these sorts of things. The VA, because it's been in this population health mindset for so long, has realized that really approaching these diagnoses from a holistic perspective is, is a very 
effective way to, to manage these conditions. What are musculoskeletal conditions? And are you seeing those in younger veterans? So uh, musculoskeletal conditions and, and pain are very common in the veteran population. Uh, if you think about one example, uh, a paratrooper, the parachutes aren't designed to slow people down too much because obviously that's a problem if people are shooting at you. And so I see a lot of people uh, with knee arthritis, with back conditions, with a, a lot of musculoskeletal conditions related from their, their time in the service. And, and yes, definitely seeing that at an an earlier age than we might in the civilian population, just because of how demanding certain aspects of being in the military are from a musculoskeletal perspective. How do you treat it? So again, it's a, it's a multimodal treatment. You know, obviously, physical therapy, therapeutic exercise can be really good first-line treatments. One of the things that I think is underappreciated at the VA is the flexibility that we have in terms of treatments. So for example, I had a veteran last week who had tennis elbow that was refractory to medication, refractory to therapy, and we were able to get stem cells that we utilize to do a, a biologic treatment. And so doing something like that on the outside would be very hard. Insurance wouldn't cover it. It would be a real, a real labor to get that sort of treatment. Whereas in the VA, we're able to bring to bear some of these cutting edge treatments in a way that's much easier than on the outside. What do you recommend we tell loved ones to get them to seek treatment? And do you recommend a physical right after someone leaves the service? So I think that one thing to, to recognize is that the people who work at the VA, many of them are veterans themselves. People who, who go to the VA to work tend to be very devoted to the mission. And so I think that a lot of times when veterans do access the care, they're very surprised by, by the quality of the care that's provided. We also see very consistently in the literature that it's very high value care, meaning the cost of the care relative to the outcomes is, is often more favorable than it is in, in other systems. And so I think talking to loved ones and telling them that uh, the VA is a, is a resource for them. And also different veterans use the VA in different ways. So some people will, will use the VA for all of their health care needs. Some people will find that it works for some health care needs, but other things are still met in the community. So I think that there's probably more flexibility in terms of how veterans access the care than you, than you might think. As a veteran myself, I've been super happy with the way the VA has handled my care because as Dr. Nurbury had mentioned, I do have back and knee issues from my service that I spent 11 years in. And the VA has been very good about it. So any, any veteran who is thinking that they're going to live with a pain forever like I did, I, I encourage you to go to the VA and start getting that treatment. Like, you know, I go to the chiropractor and, you know, my back is so much better since I've been starting to go and see the chiropractor in town. So always encourage veterans to go to the VA and start getting that treatment. And how would they go about accessing that? If they haven't been accessing the VA yet, they can either do it online through MyHealthyVet or VA.gov, or they can come into the Lubbock VA Clinic and see the benefits eligibility section and, and get signed up that way. Is there anything else you'd like to add? 
two things I think would be important to highlight. The first one is that the the center that we have here in Lubbock, the Lubbock Outpatient Clinic, is really amazing. It's a brand new facility, and there's lots of people working hard there to bring just a, a state-of-the-art outpatient experience. And so I think for veterans in the community or providers who are caring for veterans, it's a really special thing that we have here. And I think it's only going to get better as the time goes on. The second thing that I would point out is that with us coming into the holidays, I think a lot of people do struggle with emotions, with social isolation. And we know that's a risk factor for for veterans with mental health issues and, and risk of suicide. I'd encourage folks listening, if you know a veteran, just shoot them a text message, give them a call, let them know that you're thinking about them. Because sometimes that can be a big motivating thing in terms of helping people feel connected and and just for folks to know that someone's checking on them, thinking about them, that sort of thing. I think that's really important. And then encouraging, again, as we said, veterans who aren't plugged in with the VA to to access that care and, and get that support that they need. Well, thank you so much for that advice. And thanks for coming on our podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susanna Cisneros, Mark Hendricks, and me, Melissa Whitfield. Thank you.